Mutilating a victim takes the act of murder to darken towering new heights. Decapitation, forcibly and violently severing the head from the body, is the ultimate act of depersonalization. Detaching the brain from the spinal column is severing the very organ that makes us genuinely individual. Disconnecting the nerves that run through the neck, carrying the vital information that makes us human, enables our body to move and links our minds to our physical presence. It removes any shred of dignity from a victim. Their face, their features, their personality. Gone. The determination and viciousness of a killer to mutilate their victim in this way demonstrates a level of depravity that goes beyond comprehension. Evil is a concept that can be difficult to define, but this, an act of brutal violence inflicted upon another human being way over and above any necessity to take life, is the very characterization of evil. When a mutilated and decapitated victim is found, the individual capable of such evil takes on his own image in people's minds. But once in a while, the reality behind that image is more shocking and more horrifying than anyone could have prepared for. In December 2016, in the city of Lawrence, Massachusetts, the beautiful Merrimack River that runs through the city became the scene of unforeseen horror. A headless corpse with both hands also missing was found on the riverbank, discarded, undignified, and alone. The body had laid there for 13 days before being discovered. When powerful emotions intertwine with an evil that lies in the shadows, Violence and rage erupts, brutally ending life. When we opened the body bag, there was um, a decapitated um, body with no hand. There was a separate body bag with a head. Major blood vessels and structures of the neck were severed um, to remove the head. Um, There's just too much hemorrhage in that area to really... Uh, know if it's if the person was alive or dead at the time. On the afternoon of December 1st, 2016, the police in the city of Lawrence in Essex County, Massachusetts, received a call from a horrified resident, Omar Medina. Out walking his dog along his usual route on the banks of the Merrimack River, he had found what he thought was a body. Um, as I approached, I got closer. I saw her really sniffing at a particular area. Um, so I pulled her back, and when I looked... I kind of second-guessed myself, you know, I thought I saw a dead body, but I wasn't too sure uh, because, you know, it was missing some limbs. Officers responded to the emergency call. Taking the same route as the dog walker, 
They entered the area from the residential street of McCabe Court. They continued through a gap in the fence into the overgrown trail along the river's edge until they reached the scene. They too found it difficult to process what lay before them. The body of a young adult male lay partially submerged in the flowing river. His torso awkwardly positioned on the riverbank with his lower limbs still underwater, wearing a black t-shirt and black sweatpants. As the officers scanned their eyes along his body, they could see his hands had been removed. Further up, his neck was an unnatural, abrupt stump, only an empty space where his head should have been. Mr. Medina had found a body, and the story the body had to tell was one of viciousness, rage, and annihilation. As detectives and forensic officers began to arrive at the scene, the officers began a tentative search of the immediate area. Not far from the position of the victim, a market basket grocery bag was spotted twisting and turning, gently in the calm waters. As the bag was pulled to the riverbank and carefully opened, homicide detectives could see a human ear. The victim's head had been stuffed into the plastic bag and thrown in the river. Despite extensive searches, the hands of the victim, to this day, have never been recovered. The city of Lawrence is approximately 7.4 square meters in size and sits on either side of the Merrimack River. Its waters flowing out towards the Atlantic Ocean 26 miles away. Drugs, property crime, gang violence. These were what the city was familiar with. The discovery of a victim, murdered and beheaded, was beyond the comprehension of local residents. Speculation immediately began on who the victim was and what danger was lurking inside the city. Residents turned to the Lawrence Chief of Police and the Mayor, Dan Rivera, for answers. Uh, we discovered a body along the, the banks of the Merrimack River. Since that time, the Massachusetts State Police assigned to District Attorney Jonathan Blodgett's office, along with detectives from the Lawrence Police Department, have been working around the clock. Based on the information uh, that we have, I believe that there is no further threat to the city of Lawrence. However, due to the nature of the investigation, I cannot elaborate any further, and I refer all questions to the district attorney's office. Thank you. So, it, for me, it's uh, with a heavy heart that I stand before you after a body was found in our city on the banks of the river. I share everyone's frustration and anger about the incident itself, about the lack of information currently available, and frankly about how this could happen in our community. I'll say again, while we are being blocked from saying much more, I, say, I will say, reiterate what the chief says is what we know enough that this is not a random act. And as far as we know, so far today, the investigation has gone on, our community, our neighborhoods, and our kids are not a threat to what happened to this victim. Four miles away from the crime scene, a family were trapped in an ongoing cycle in fear and painful anguish. Their 16-year-old son, a grandson, brother, and nephew in this large loving family had been missing for 13 days. As the news filtered through that a body had been found on the banks of the river, this family's fears transformed into a sense of foreboding dread. The autopsy of the victim was complicated and extensive. It took 11 hours for the medical examiner to work through the injuries present. This young man had been stabbed 76 separate times. The unidentified murder weapon piercing through his body over and over again. His hands had been hacked off, his head removed by sawing through his neck. 
On December 2nd, 2016, the victim of this barbaric crime was confirmed as missing 16-year-old Lee Manuel Valoria Polino. A lot of people beyond you certainly loved your son. Uh, yes, yeah. everybody. Yeah. Everybody. Everybody, because he was a nice boy. He was an excellent child. He grew up in, in a family that has really taken care of him in a lovely manner. He, I can describe him only a lovely kid that hasn't done nothing bad to no one. And everybody knows whenever he was involved in the church, always going up and down with us in this school and everywhere. The love and support from everybody has been a beautiful thing, but everything's still the same. Ain't nothing changed. Mary was saying that uh, it's an isolated incident, that our communities are safe. That's bullshit. Nobody's safe. Lock your doors. Keep your kids in school. Homeschool your kids. Nobody's safe. Everybody fucking panic. Nothing's changed. Don't say bad words. It's... Uh, now, when the state police is involved, after we get support with Lynette and someone else that we asked to help us. Now things are having better, better investigation, better detective, but at the very beginning, when they were supposed to, the police did nothing, nothing. They pretended to, but not even a poster that we made and placed everywhere in this city. They have place over there, and I can testify that. Police, and from there, didn't know that this happening. How could it be possible if we have been since the beginning claiming for help that we're supposed to get out and search for him the same way we were doing? If we were for one side, and we were doing the same for another side, and the detective were working, that could have happened. That could have happened. I disagree the way they work. I don't care what they say, but they didn't work in the right way. They were supposed to get involved since the very beginning, and they didn't. They start really working after this. The police get involved more than a week ago uh, after. <laughs> That's having an abuse. It was a runaway case, and we insisted it wasn't a runaway case. We insisted real hard it wasn't a runaway case. Since day one, we know this is a lovely home. He didn't have any reason for that. How can the detective tell me? Maybe he's going to show up who he is. No, no, he's a lovely son. He's a lovely child. Grew up in a lovely family. No, and I said that since day one. I said that since day one. It's not possible. It's not possible. I hope everyone don't have this experience because it's devastating. Caramba. Ya nosotros tenemos las lágrimas y el alma seca desde el día uno. Oh my God. This city is not safe. It's Keep not safe your at kids all. at home because he was at home. Homeschool your kids. Yeah, he never, he never get out of this house without permission. He always was with us. He was a great kid. It's not possible that that happened to him. If that happens to him, it could happen to someone else. If he wasn't safe, so, nobody's safe. Yeah, I guarantee you that. Nobody's safe. This community is not safe. This justice system is not good. Have the police treated this 
with the respect that it deserved from the beginning, the respect that we asked of them, this wouldn't be a news story. It would have yes. been home safe. Yes. But we're poor. Possibly. We're Hispanic. And they considered that like a normal runaway case. No way. It wasn't. It wasn't. And I told them since they won, it's not. Yes. yes, 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 and that's my, my pain, that's my pain, because since the beginning there will be paying attention to us, maybe they could save him. Lee had been missing from his home since the evening of November 18th. He was a good kid from a stable and loving home. Artistic and a free thinker, Lee wrote poetry and loved his music. He lived with his extended family who adored him. Lee and his mother had the upper apartment in the multi-story home his family shared with his grandparents, siblings, and uncles. He was especially close to his grandmother, who he'd spend time with after school, telling her he loved her as he watched what she was cooking for dinner. Lee never left his home without letting his family know he was going out and asking for their permission. House rules that were in place to keep him safe and his family knowledgeable about where the teenager was. Lee happily abided by these rules, till the night he disappeared. On Friday, November 18th, Lee had come home from school and gone upstairs to his apartment after chatting and eating a meal with his grandmother. His mother and father were in the Dominican Republic at the time, having no idea they would never see their son alive again. Later that night, Lee's uncle had gone to check on Lee and discovered his apartment was empty. Lee's phone and wallet were still there but the 16-year-old was nowhere to be seen. Assuming the teenager had sneaked out, although out of character, his uncle pushed a daybed under the window and stacked it high with pots and pans. Knowing when his nephew tried to sneak back in, the noise would give him away. But Lee didn't sneak back in. He didn't come home that night at all. The Polino family began a desperate search for Lee Manuel. They put his cell phone SIM card in one of their phones to catch any calls or messages that might help find him. They contacted his friends and his school. They drove around the area looking and asking if anyone had seen Lee. With no information where he was, Lee was reported missing to the Lawrence Police Department. Unable to sit back and do nothing, Lee's family continued their search, frustrated by police suggestions that Lee had simply ran away. By Monday, November 21st, they had found CCTV footage from their neighbor's home across the street. Rolling back the tape, they could see Lee leaving the house just before 7 p.m. on the evening he went missing. The footage showed that Lee was with a young man of a similar age, dressed in dark clothing with a hood up. Lawrence police took a photo still from the footage, which zoomed in on the unknown boy walking with Lee. They showed the image around Lawrence High School, where Lee was a student, in attempts to identify him. It was the assistant principal of the school who recognized the face in the grainy image. The boy with Lee on the night he vanished was 15-year-old Matthew Borges. In the 13 days that Lee was missing, his family and friends held vigils for him. Vigils that now turned to memorials at the discovery of his body. Lee had been viciously and brutally murdered. His body mutilated, dismembered, and cast aside with no regard for the human life that had just been extinguished. The horror of this crime, the brutality involved, shocked and frightened the residents of Lawrence and horrified Lee's friends and family. Confused. Yeah. Why would they do that, sir? No one can, can put 
this puzzle, there's a lot of pieces missing. A lot of pieces. This 16-year-old's family is in disbelief. His heartbroken father spoke briefly with our Jorge Quiroga. Your immediate reaction to your worst fears. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I can't talk to nobody right now. My condolences. Thank you. Lee was such a humble young man, and he's going to be greatly missed by many. Why would someone do this? Why? Something has to happen. Something has to change. He was such a nice, caring kid. The anguish of losing a friend and the pain of not understanding why. It hurts. It hurts. It doesn't go away. Two days before Lee's body was found, Matthew Borges had been interviewed by the police. He told officers they had left Lee's house that evening to walk to the bank of the Merrimack River to smoke marijuana together. In the dark, with temperatures still comfortable, they enjoyed looking at the flat expanse of water and watching the reflections and lights from the boathouse across the river. Matthew said they had gone their separate ways. He had not seen Lee since. Sitting across the table from police detectives, Matthew was confident in his story. The information he gave to them, in his mind was credible and believable. The detectives experienced and trained to be suspicious were starting to ask themselves questions about this teenage boy. His story was one that didn't quite ring true. When Lee's body was discovered, Matthew Borges went from a witness to a person of interest. At 15 years old, boys are engrossed in the early transition phase, leading them slowly into manhood, adult responsibility, and to fulfilling their chosen life path. Matthew Borges was a teenager entirely different from Lee Manuel Valoria Polino. While Lee was happy, positive, and able to impart encouraging wisdom to his friends on life and meaning, Matthew was a darker soul. He had a temper. His home life appeared troubled and unstable. Matthew was bright with a particular flair for physics. While some school friends talked of how he helped them with physics problems, others spoke of his disruptive behavior, his habit of getting into trouble, and their desire, as a result, to stay away from him. Lee and Matthew were both sophomores at Lawrence High School. In the weeks leading up to Lee's murder, the pair had been spending more time together, chatting over text and Facebook. They both enjoyed smoking marijuana and hung out often. They were, by all accounts, friends. Listener, this year, we're all looking forward to a fresh start great way to start fresh is with some self-care and fresh scents from native native aluminum free deodorant is a great addition to your 2021 routine native cares about what you put on your armpits that's why their deodorants ingredients list includes things you've actually heard of like coconut oil and shea butter another plus none of their products are tested on animals and almost everything is vegan switching to native from an antiperspirant doesn't mean you'll have to worry about that midday B.O. either. Native will have you walking around smelling like coconut and vanilla, citrus and herbal musk, or maybe even lavender and rose. You can choose from over 10 cents, including their classics and rotating seasonals, so you're guaranteed to find one you love. Native Deodorant has over 16,000 five-star reviews. has been featured in the Today Show for a reason. It works. Make the switch to Native today. By going to nativedo.com slash obscura or use promo code obscura at checkout, 
and get 20% off your first order. That's nativedeo.com slash obscura or use promo code obscura at checkout for 20% off your first order. Listener, one of my favorite guilty pleasures is watching bad and cheesy horror movies. There's just something fun about picking them apart. But you know what I feel exactly zero guilt about? How much I love playing Best Fiends. Our friends over at Best Fiends have been generous enough to support our show on and off for some time now. And I have to say, the game is addictive in the best way. It's a great way to de-stress between recording sessions. I really like the presentation and cartoony characters. My girlfriend has a great time playing it too. Best Fiends is boredom's worst nightmare. With Best Fiends, there's something new today and tomorrow. And every day after that, literally thousands of levels to play and counting, plus tons of cute characters to collect. So if you never get tired of solving puzzles, good news. With Best Fiends, the fun never ends. Just don't blame me if you become slightly obsessed. Download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. You know what's not fair? The fact that Netflix hides thousands of shows from you based on your location and then has the nerve to increase their prices on you. That's right. Starting at the end of this month, they're raising prices once again. Now, you could just cancel your subscription and protest, or you could be smart about it. Make sure you're getting your full money's worth by using ExpressVPN like I do. See, you might not know that what's on Netflix in your country is completely different from what someone in the UK or Japan has on theirs. Using ExpressVPN, I can control which country I want Netflix to think I'm in. ExpressVPN has over 90 countries to choose from, so every time I run out of stuff to watch, I just switch to another country to unlock new shows. I actually rewatched Wild at Heart recently. It's not on US Netflix, but with just one tap of a button, ExpressVPN lets me change my location to the UK to watch it. Here's the best part, it's not just for Netflix. You can use ExpressVPN to unlock shows on other streaming services too. I like to use it to watch BBC iPlayer. It's free and only available in the UK. ExpressVPN is also super fast and works on your phone, laptop, even smart TVs. So you can watch your shows on the big screen with zero buffering. So be smart. Stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com slash obscura. Don't forget to use my link so you can get three extra months free. That's expressvpn.com slash obscura. Expressvpn.com slash obscura to learn more. This week's episode is brought to you by Happy Dance. Whether you've tried CBD products before or you're already a huge fan, Happy Dance is different. Happy Dance was created to help everyone make the soothing benefits of CBD skincare part of their daily routine. So what does Happy Dance feel like? Well, it's like rubbing a sense of a better day right into your skin. It's like a secret door to your happy place. Happy Dance products are made with only the highest quality CBD and premium ingredients. They've got a whipped CBD body butter, an ultra-calming CBD bath bomb, and a multi-purpose CBD coconut melt. 
I've recently used the Whip CBD body butter, and from the moment it touched my skin, I knew this wasn't any regular body butter. It felt so smooth and left my skin feeling refreshed. It smelled great too. Right now, Obscura listeners get 15% off their first Happy Dance order, but only when you go to doahappydance.com slash Obscura. That's 15% off your first order of Happy Dance CBD skincare at doahappydance.com slash Obscura. So as much as I know about you. Yeah, then that's what we want. We want you to just be honest. He was nice to me. He respected me. I respected him. It was just... That day I went to school. It was a regular day. Saw Lee at lunch. And then after lunch, I went home. Yeah, what's your opinion? My opinion, he's probably hiding out somewhere. Do you think, like, like one of his friends' place? Mm-hmm. Did you expect him to go home that day? Yeah. Okay, so... Yeah, so it was, when did you find out that... When Lee? I was at work the next day, before I was I went to work, the girl I was talking to told me, she said, have you seen Lee? I was like, yeah, I was with him the other day. And I was like, why, why? And she said, he's missing. I was like, wow. Interviewed again, detectives now wanted to know what Matthew knew of Lee's murder. Matthew Borges had evidence of cuts to both hands, cuts that now drew suspicion from police officers as they questioned him. Explanation, he said he had been in a fight, the story had then swiftly changed to say that he had cut his hands while changing parts on his bike. As the tone of the detectives became more accusatory and direct, his confidence and self-assurance were starting to waver. I've been in interviews for seven straight hours All with right. people, and they lied for six All and right. a half and 59 minutes of right. them. And then the last minute of the interview, they tell the truth. Okay. Okay? You yourself said the other day, this story really doesn't sound too good. Mm-hmm. So you don't think he was killed? No, nobody had any reason to kill. No, not that I know. To kill Lee. Mm-hmm. You certainly didn't kill Lee. Mm-hmm. Did you? No, I didn't kill Lee. On December second, police officers searched Matthew's home. In his room, inside a drawer, they found a journal. It contained two sets of handwriting. As officers flicked through it. But the last entry caught their eye. The writing was alarmingly dark, forming a grisly to-do list, set of instructions for murder and actions to cover up that murder. As officers banged the journal into evidence, an unexpected witness report was coming in. In a statement to police, a friend of Matthew's reported Matthew had told them in person that he had killed Lee. He had detailed how he had stabbed Lee repeatedly before cutting off his head. Matthew Borges had confessed to murder. At approximately 12.45 this morning, the Massachusetts State Police assigned to my office, along with detectives from Lawrence Police Department, executed a search warrant at 85 Oxford Street here in the city of Lawrence in furtherance of the investigation of the death of Lee Polino. Based upon evidence found at the scene, an arrest was made of Matthew Borges, at that residence. Matthew Bogus was taken into custody at 11 o'clock this morning without incident. He will be arraigned here Monday, Monday morning, in Lawrence District Court on account of murder in the first degree. He will be charged as an adult. This was a horrific, horrific murder. I will not speculate as to motive at this point in time. That would be wrong. And I answer if it's gang-related, again, that would be pure speculation. And I can't speculate as to motive at this time. 
Matthew Borges was charged with first-degree murder of Lee Manuel Valoria Polino at his arraignment hearing on December 5th, 2016 in Lawrence District Court. Matthew stood in the defendant box surrounded by screens with two police guards behind him. His big bushy hair overshadowing his face could not disguise the boyish young looks that reminded everybody this was a 15-year-old boy. As Lawrence looked on, the notion that this child now stood accused of this atrocious and violent murder stunned residents, friends, and family of Lee and the police department into reflective silence. Matthew Borges pled not guilty as his charge was read out against him. His defense attorney, Edward Hayden, knowing he would have no chance to succeed, did not argue for bail. Matthew's parents did not attend his arraignment hearing. While the legal process against Matthew Borges slowly moved forward, Lawrence turned back to Lee Manuel, a boy whose life had been brutally ripped away from him. He had wanted to be a graphic designer, a chef, or maybe an actor. He was an honor roll student, surrounded by friends and family. This kind-hearted and gentle boy was now laid to rest. His funeral took place on December 9, 2016, just over one week after his mutilated body was found. The brutal death of this teenager really has shaken this community. Lee Manuel Valoria Paulino was just 16 years old. He was a popular kid in school. Just over a week ago, his body was found along the banks of the Merrimack River. Police have accused a 15-year-old classmate saying he stabbed the boy and then cut off his head. It is just a gruesome crime that has troubled this community, and people are coming tonight to try to comfort his family. Everybody's... You know, grateful to have everybody in there, you know, and trying to be positive, but it's, it's horrible. Everybody's crying. There's no way to really describe it. It's just, I don't know, it's sad. And as a parent, you should never have to go through burying your own child because the way the cycle of life goes is that you're supposed to die before your kids and not the other way around. Part 2. The Trial it took two and a half years for Matthew Borges to stand trial for Lee's murder. Trial dates were set and then postponed multiple times as both the prosecution and defense prepared their cases. On April 25, 2019, his trial began at Essex County Superior Court in Salem, 19 miles away from Lawrence. A jury of nine women and seven men were sworn in ready to hear the evidence in this case and decide the fate of a now 18-year-old Matthew Borges. Since his arraignment, Matthew was held in youth custody. On this first day, as he came into court, Lee's family sat on the benches behind him. His hair was styled and cut short. His baggy t-shirt at his arraignment hearing replaced with a crisp white shirt and black tie. The nature of this crime, the seriousness of it, meant that although Matthew Borges was 15 years old at the time it was carried out, he would be tried as an adult. The charge against him was the most severe possible in the state of Massachusetts. First-degree murder with deliberate premeditation, murder carried out as a conscious decision, a planned course of action after a period of reflection. This murder charge also came with a theory of extreme atrocity and cruelty. It was a murder so wicked, so incomprehensible, using a method of killing that horrifies and surpasses any necessity required to take a life. Violence inflicted on a victim that was way past that was needed to kill. What not changed was the emotionless expression on Matthew's face. 
eyes that revealed nothing, a face that gave away no clues. Matthew Borges would remain in that state of expressionless silence throughout his trial, under the watchful gaze of a partly curious and partly horrified jury. When trying to understand a crime, the motive is always the forefront question. In the classic saying of motive, means an opportunity. The prosecution, led by Assistant District Attorney Jay Gubatos, said Matthew Borges had them all. In their opening statement, they laid out what they believed the motive for his murder was. Intense and rage-filled jealousy of Lee Manuel over his ex-girlfriend talking with Lee, and the idea there might be something going on between them. Sexual jealousy fueled by beliefs of infidelity. Yet Matthew was no longer in a relationship with former classmate Stephanie Serrano. They had broken up at the end of August 2016, almost three months before Lee's murder, but a text message he sent to her on November 8th, a week before the killing, fed into the prosecution's theory. I want you, but I'm thinking about all the guy friends you have. I won't be able to deal with that. I'm too much of a jealous person. I get jealous now. Imagine if we were together. Jealousy is a powerful emotion. We all feel it at some point in life. Over a person. Over something they have that we would like. But when jealousy is the underlying catalyst for violence, a third party is involved. An individual that becomes a target for that emotion. Suspicion. Rage. Humiliation. They all dance and interweave under the jealousy banner, placing that target firmly as a rival. The state prosecution said this was the motive for Matthew Borges taking Lee's life that night. The reason for the vicious way he was murdered with 76 individual stab wounds. There is a rage behind that level of overkill. The medical examiner was unable to confirm whether those stab wounds were the cause of death for Lee Manuel, or whether he was still alive when his killer began to dismember his body. In relationships Matthew had with two girls in his school year in 2015 and 2016, there was evidence of jealousy, especially involving Lee. Melanie De Jesus was 15 years old when she was in a relationship with Matthew for nine months in 2015. The first to take the stand, she told the court of his angry reaction when he saw her talking with Lee. She spoke of an incident in the school's cafeteria where Matthew had to be removed by a teacher after flying into a rage, when he saw her talking with Lee. Even more damning, the court heard about how the journal found in Matthew's home was one Lelaney shared with him. The last entry, written by Matthew, was what the prosecution called a kill note. He yelled at me about me being friendly with Lee. Lelani DeJesus told the court she kept a journal with Borges while they were dating. The last entry from Borges. And it reads, go chill with him at his crib alone, drink, smoke, and play it off. Kill him. Call JM and Scooby, tell him pull up, then take everything. Bring duffel bags, wear gloves, clean up mess, wear bags on shoes, wear clothes you don't care about. Stephanie Soriano who, like Matthew, was now 18 years old, was the second witness to testify before the prosecution. She told the court of the relationship she had with Matthew, how they'd been introduced by a friend. She had looked him up on Facebook, curious about this bubbly, interesting boy she'd met. The pair became friends quickly, talking for extended periods over text messages and via Facebook. Stephanie found Matthew exciting and funny, 
She was careful with any relationship with boys, she told the court. She wanted to get to know them properly first, before starting to formally date them. Matthew's willingness to talk to Stephanie and openly reveal his inner thoughts to her is a decision he would come to regret. He was expressive, graphic, and detailed in his disclosures. It was an openness that left a digital trail. In court, facing a charge of first-degree murder, it was Matthew's own words that the prosecution were able to use to build their case against him. On November 17, 2016, the night before the murder, Matthew sent text and Facebook messages to Stephanie, messages she saved on her cell phone. I think of killing someone and I smirk. I like the sound of it. The idea of causing pain on someone who's getting in my way or causing me pain. A voice message followed that night. 48 seconds long, Matthew Borges verbalized his inner thoughts. His own words were fixated on the darkness that overtakes the eyes of a human being. They have carried out a wicked act. The black holes they become, representing a stripped-away soul and a loss of humanity. Eyes that are dead are scary. Makes you think about what that person has done, what they've been through, what they've seen. Eyes that don't shine, that are full of darkness. It's just sad. It's like these people are different. They've done things that make them lose their humanity. Like they have no soul. They just have big black pupils. Our eyes are the most expressive parts of our faces. They are revealing, a mirror to our inner emotions. Or as some have said, they are the windows to our soul. Our eyes enlarge and brighten when we're happy. Creasing in the corners when we smile and laugh. They become duller when we are sad. Matthew's prose obsesses over the dark black eyes of a dead soul. We're committing an act so heinous and wicked, the soul is automatically forfeited. Lost forever, taking humanity and compassion with it. A soulless being left behind with eyes that are no longer the mirrors into the soul. Eyes that are dull, black, and consumed by darkness. The trial revealed that Matthew meeting Lee on November 18th and going down to the river with him was not spontaneous. It was not an impulsive act. It was part of a plan to lure Lee away from his home. As homicide detectives had trawled through Matthew's social media accounts during the investigation, they found he was a member of a private Facebook group used by Lawrence High School students. It was a group called Game Warriors. In it, as far back as October, Matthew and four other male classmates had exchanged messages, building a plan to rob Lee Manuel. Their plan was a cruel plotting to get Lee away from his home so they can go inside and steal his belongings his PlayStation, and items of his clothing. Matthew's role was to take Lee to the Merrimack River that night, allowing the remaining group to break into his home. The CCTV footage, which had identified Matthew as the last person with Lee, also showed these four boys arriving at Lee's house less than 30 minutes after the pair had left. After going inside, they re-emerged carrying a black duffel bag. In early police interviews and during the grand jury testimonies as charges against Matthew for murder were being prepared, these boys did not confess to the plan to break into Lee's home. Almost three years later, at trial, all four said they wanted to tell the truth. They admitted to the break-in and theft, but they maintained there was no plan for Matthew to harm Lee. One by one, they told the court that Matthew Borges phoned them later on that evening and confessed to what he had done. I heard him say he's dead, and then 
after that, everything just blanked out. He had told me that he killed Lee and um, cut off his head. Did he tell you how he killed him? No. Um, he said that he stabbed him. It started off with the hands were bloody. He came me the wrong way, so I had to do what I had to do. According to these witnesses, Matthew Borges killed Lee alone and without their knowledge. He confessed to them, gave them details of how he stabbed Lee before he cut off his head. From the moment Lee's mutilated body was found, there was speculation about who had carried out this crime. The decapitation leading some to question a gang violence connection. For others, it screamed this was not a crime carried out by a 15-year-old boy acting alone. No one else faced any charges in this case other than Matthew Borges. He stood accused of planning this murder, orchestrating the circumstances to carry it out, and doing so on his own. Within these messages in the Game Warriors group, one in particular stood out to the police detectives. Matthew had told his friends he was going to kill someone on Halloween. The message said if they saw on the news someone they knew had been murdered, they'd know it was him. His defense attorney told the court Matthew was joking in this message, that all the notes in the group were just teenage banter meaningless chat between adolescent boys. He said Matthew Borges held no intentions to take the life of another. The murder trial lasted nine days. His defense attorney, Edward Hayden, had little to work with. Matthew did not take the stand in his defense. His attorney called no defense witnesses. His defense strategy was a simple one. Matthew Borges, he said, did not carry out this murder. Edward Hayden focused on the absence of any physical forensic evidence linking Matthew to the crime. There was no DNA, no blood, no fingerprints, no murder weapon, and no certainty as to the actual scene of the crime. The journal entry, the kill note, written by Matthew was rebuffed by Hayden, despite it clearly indicating why there was no forensic evidence. Old clothes, bags over shoes, cleanup. Matthew had planned how to cover his tracks. His defense tried to convince the jury that the journal was, in fact, not relevant at all. It shows that he does not have any consciousness of guilt about that note because it doesn't apply to what ever happened to Lee. He didn't do it. There is no murder weapon. There is no tools to dismember a body. There are no fingerprints, there is no blood, there is no DNA, and there is no motive. As the court sat through gruesome and harrowing testimony, Lee's family attended each day. Sitting behind the teenage boy accused of taking Lee's life, they all wore t-shirts bearing Lee's picture with the words, We want answers. We need answers. We need justice. Written in bold lettering. Some of the testimony certainly was very difficult, very disturbing for family members, although they did not have to see all of the evidence that the jury had to see. Jurors saw photos of the decapitated 16-year-old boy's body, and he had been stabbed more than 70 times. Matthew Borges was the last person to see Lee Manuel alive. He had a history of jealousy towards Lee, a kill note with detailed instructions for murder and cleanup. His own words had placed him in a trap showcasing his obsession with deadened eyes and a forfeited soul overtaken by darkness. He had four witnesses testifying against him with damning claims that he willingly confessed to stabbing Lee repeatedly and removing his head. On May 13, 2019, 
The jury began their deliberations. In less than two days, they returned to the courtroom with their verdict. Mr. Foreman, what say you to indictment number 2017-115, charging the defendant, Matthew Borges, with murder in the first degree? Is the defendant guilty or not guilty? And if guilty, guilty of what and on what theory? Find the defendant guilty. The offense is charged with deliberate premeditation and atrocity. Mr. Foreman and ladies and gentlemen of the jury, hearken to your verdict as the court has recorded it. You, upon your oaths, do say that the defendant, Matthew Borges, is guilty on the charge of first degree murder on the theories of deliberate premeditation and extreme atrocity and cruelty. So say you, Mr. Foreman. So say you, all members of the jury. May the verdict be recorded, Your Honor. Yes, it may be. Three weeks later, on July 9, 2019, Matthew Borges arrived back at Essex County Superior Court for sentencing. The devastated words of Lee's mother echoed around the silent courtroom. She had lost her son to the most brutal murder, taken from her by a teenage boy he viewed as his friend. On November 18, 2016, our world was irreversibly changed when Leona was taken from us. He was just 16 years old when he was murdered. And every day we struggled with the fact that his life was cut too short when he was in the cusp of so much. But that wasn't enough for the criminal that took his life. As found by the jury through the evidence presented in this trial, Alimono's murder was not only premeditated but carried out with extreme atrocity and cruelty. In the weeks before his remains were found and the years leading up to his conviction, we drove ourselves crazy trying to make sense of what had been done. We have wondered hopelessly, hopelessly, what could have we have done differently and tried to understand why someone would plan to commit such a horrible crime to such an amazing person. From the moment that the news became public, all we have heard is outpouring of sentiments echoing the facts that we knew to be true that Limono Villoria Paulino was a sincere, loving, responsible, charismatic, and altruistic young man on the verge of seizing life that many, many goals truncated. With the assassination of Limono, we were also assassinated because Lee was everything for this family. There are no more dreams for the dreamer, the brother, the writer, and the poet that was Limonovilo and Paulino, because the minds of this criminal landed on him as a target and decided to take his life. There are no more trips to us, with us, with Lee, and there's no more happy home projects if we cannot con- include him. Our lovely one, Limono, was the driving force behind us behind so many of the activities we used to do and loved bringing the family together. Sharing a meal as a family was one of his favorite things. And because of this, he, he always looked forward to Thanksgiving celebration. We will never again have a Thanksgiving dinner because Limonot was torn from our arms just a few days before Thanksgiving of 2016. Despite whatever sentence is decided upon, we understand that nothing will bring Limonol back to us. However, we feel that this criminal deserves to spend his life in carcerity. So at very least, it serves to keep him off the streets 
He shall never have the opportunity to kill again, to rob another person of their life like he did to Limano in such a horrible and sad way. We hope that the sentence handed down serves to help him find remorse and repentance in his life. We reaffirm that the assassin, assassin of Limano Godor Paulino should receive the maximum sentence. Life in prison is the automatic sentence for a conviction of first-degree murder in the state of Massachusetts. Committing such a heinous act as a juvenile, by law, meant that Matthew Borges would have had a chance at parole. Under a 2013 United States Supreme Court ruling, juveniles cannot be given a life without parole sentence. Minors, the law states, have the most opportunity to change, a higher likelihood and possibility that as an adult, they will find remorse for their actions and can be rehabilitated. Instead of spending every day of his life behind bars, Borges will have the opportunity to plead for release under the backdrop of redemption. You really can't uh, know what is going to happen over the next 25 years with him. And all I'm asking is that Your Honor give that unlikely possibility uh, that he would be eligible for parole uh, in 25 years, um, let the parole board decide if he has not had a good record in prison. <laughs> they won't. They won't parole him. And, and the final thing I, I want to say is he has been convicted of a horrific offense, the worst probably that any of we lawyers have ever seen. But he's not irredeemably depraved. There is hope for his redemption. He can change his life. And that's all I wanted to leave you on The murder of Lee Manuel was a killing filled with anger, hatred, and desire to strip him of who he was. It was actions that took a life, and in doing so, mutilated his body beyond levels a 15-year-old should be capable of. Matthew Borges sealed his fate not only in carrying out the act of the vicious murder of Lee, but in his desire to tell people he had done it, a need to share, to confess to the brutality he had just inflicted on another human being. What the defendant did to, to Lee um, uh, deserves the maximum penalty. And if we think about what this premeditation was, putting aside the extreme, uh, the extreme atrocity and cruelty and think about what he did this was something that he was looking forward to, anticipating, and we know that through the defendant's own words when, we're, when, we, when we hear about the text, when he said something to the effect of, when I think of killing someone, I smirk. I can't get it out of my head. It, it gives me joy, things of that nature. That's who we're dealing with, and that's what this trial was about. And so I can't think of anything that is more premeditated when someone is thinking about it, plans it, carries out a rather sophisticated plan, if you will, to get uh, Lee out of the house, brings him down, and then stabs him to death. And what we heard about the killing itself, putting aside the extreme atrocity and kill, uh, cruelty, is Lee was stabbed dozens of times while he was still alive. And the medical examiner explained all that during this trial, Your Honor. There will, to the family, there will never be justice for what was done to Lee. 
The judge closed this case by giving her decision on the sentencing of Matthew Borges. The decision to be made was the parole period to attach to the two theories that came with the first-degree murder conviction. For the theory of extreme atrocity and cruelty, he was sentenced to 30 years to life. For the theory of deliberate premeditation, he was sentenced to 30 years to life. Both sentences, the maximum Judge Helene Kazanjian could give, are to run concurrently. A 15-year-old boy who feels a comforting, joyous emotion when he thinks about killing someone. The idea of inflicting pain on another human being appeals to him. These thoughts are becoming more intrusive as time goes on. More predominant in his mind, yet he welcomes them. There doesn't appear to be any fear, concerns, or worry over why he is thinking and feeling these things. They are not unwanted. The plan in his mind had been set and his focus was on how different his eyes would look. This black deadness he found others had when they had done bad things that somehow seemed appealing to him. The modest, unassuming understanding of the human soul encompasses the very factors that make us human. Our ability to think and reason, to have empathy and compassion, to have humanity. Aristotle believed humans have a rational soul, capable of reflection and thought. To be soulless is to be without these feelings abilities, and emotions. It is to be surrounded by darkness. Matthew Borges propelled the notion of the eyes representing the presence of a soul. When light leaves and darkness remains, the eyes demonstrate evil deeds that have saturated and eliminated the soul. The murder and decapitation of Lee Manuel was one such evil deed. A young life assassinated, his body left discarded and mutilated, unable to be laid to rest intact and complete. A soul includes a conscience, genuine feelings, and desire to be humane. When that soul is eliminated, evil can be revealed. It can rise. It can act. And in the case of Matthew Borges, it can kill. <laughs>